When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky the Blue, the associate editor and Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. Welcome back to another episode of the, of the TSL podcast. As always, I'm joined here by Will Stewart and Chris Coleman. Guys, we have a ton to break down in this episode. We've got a basketball game that happened that we have to recap. We have the ACC tournament on the horizon. The NFL Combine was last weekend. And I don't know about you guys, but I was busy all weekend at a wedding back home in Virginia Beach, so... I didn't get to watch much of anything. So, how was the how was the sports weekend for you guys? Oh, it was uh would have been a lot better if uh, Tech had <laughs> managed to pull that one out and yeah. become the three seed instead of the seven seed. And I do want to hit on that because it is crazy how Tech loses that game and drops what four seeds. And that shows you exactly how close the ACC is. I would say from top to bottom, but not quite so much. From, from number two to number 14? It's really close, yeah. Yeah, you can't really include number one in there because, well, UVA is kind of you can't light include, You can't include right UVA, now. you can't include Pitt. Yes, yeah. but everyone else, yeah. it, it, it seems like they can be beaten on any given day. Uh, Will, was your, was your sports weekend all right, despite Tech uh, losing by one there on the road? Well, not really. Uh, watched Radford High lose a uh, um, state quarterfinal game to Gates City. But you also got to see Radford University. Yes, but let's talk about the high the school NCAA game. Tournament. Let's talk about the high school game first. Okay. Right, the we'll Radford Bobcats are 27-0, and 0, so that was their first loss wow. of the season after moving up to double A. And, of course, the interest in it was that they were playing Gates City with Mac McClung, who's, uh, yes. whose highlights the are all. fabled recruit from Southwest Virginia. So Mac encountered probably more defense than he had encountered his entire high school career because Radford's <laughs> a good ball club, and they uh, they double teamed him and uh, told the other four guys on the, on the on the floor, "Go ahead and beat us." Yeah. And one kid who averages three points for Gates City had nine by the end of the first quarter. Ah, uh, gotta yeah. love how that yeah. works. So and and Radford just didn't outside of a guy named Quentin Morton Robinson, Radford just you know didn't play up to their capabilities and wound up losing pretty handily actually. Yeah. Um, then Saturday it was Virginia Tech in Miami. That was not cool. But uh, then I did get to go see Radford University. Deadman Center? At the Deadman Center play against uh, Liberty. And then that was a lot of fun because uh, the, the Deadman Center was full, and it was half Radford and half Liberty. A lot of Liberty so fans crowd. came up. Yeah, great crowd, really exciting environment. I had an outstanding view of the game winner. You know, the, the game was back and forth. Liberty's got a guy inside named – can't remember first first name, but his last name is James. And – he just he took the ball game over in probably the last fifteen minutes. So and who are you rooting for in that in that? Instance? Oh, def, definitely rooting for uh, the Highlanders for, for, for Radford. Radford. Okay, yeah. um, and that's an interesting in-state battle. And Lunardi's actually actually projecting sixteen seed Radford versus sixteen seed Hampton. Oh, in a play-in play-in game. Games. So you Man, have another in-state battle. I thought they that. changed the play-in games to. To, some of them were 11, some of them were To 16s. games people would actually watch. <laughs> first of all, I think there's all, two like 11s. I hate the idea of a playing game. It's ridiculous. Number two, 
If you win a conference tournament, the whole point is that you shouldn't have to get in a play-in game. Correct. Yeah, right. I agree. The, you're, you're, it's an automatic bid. Right. It, you, it, I, I whatever, think the play-in the play-in games ought to be exclusively bubble teams. Um, I, I, I don't think they should have. Just get rid games. of them. Just, yeah, I, yeah, I'd be totally fine with that. But let's go ahead and move on to Virginia Tech before. Well, one, one more thing about that. Oh, um, Sorry, go ahead. Boy, <laughs> ESPN loved that game-winning shot by that kid from Radford. He's a. <laughs> did uh, they? Did they? Play it on loop. Oh my gosh! It just over and over In and over. In between LeBron James and Steph Curry. Uh, well, that was your segments. first big March Madness moment of the year. Yeah, yeah you yeah, knew they were waiting for that, yeah. and boy, they uh, they were all over that for the better part of almost a full day. So anyway, yeah, let's proceed to tech sports. But before we do that, we do have to thank one of our sponsors here at TSL, the Fisher Law Firm. Fisher Law Firm is Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm, dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. They have offices in Blacksburg, Abingdon, and Charlottesville and are able to serve the entire Commonwealth of Virginia. Whether you are charged with driving under the influence or speeding, the official law firm realizes that each case is important to the client. The firm does cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia and regularly appears in over 30 jurisdictions. Last year, 98% of their caseload was traffic offenses, and to date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations for a free consultation. You can call them at any time, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031, or you can email them at info at fisherlegal.com. Again, the number is 1-800-680-7031, and you can email the Fisher Law Firm at info at fisherlegal.com. Thank you so much to those guys again for sponsoring us here at TSL. But yes, let's move on to this Miami game. Uh, Tech loses 69-68. Again, Chris, I was telling you before we started recording this here on Tuesday morning, um, I didn't watch a single second of this game. I tried to follow it on Twitter as much as I could, but I was pretty busy. Yeah, weddings will so, really interrupt your sporting week. Yes, <laughs> yes, they will. So please explain to me what the heck happened. Uh, you know, it was a game I thought Virginia Tech was better than Miami for 75% of the game, but for the 25% that they weren't as good. That's what mattered. Yeah, um, I think Virginia Tech – Will, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they were up by 12 at one point. They were about 12, not at halftime, but, but in, near the, the, end, in the first near half. Near the end of the first half. And so, Tech, Virginia Tech was up Virginia by 12? Tech was up so by I remember one critical moment where it was 28-18, Tech was leading, and they had, like, I think a layup that would have made it 30-18. Well, missed a, it, Miami hits a well, three to was, make it. It was, a, it was a missed free throw, and Blackshear got the rebound yeah. and had a point-blank look underneath the basket that would have made it 30-12. to 12. And he missed it? And he missed 30, it. 30-18. 30-18, to 18, right. They still ended up with a 12-point lead at some point. Yeah. And let's see, Tech uh, Tech had a couple of late turnovers, and Miami scored off of them, and they were able to cut it to seven right before the break. Because uh, I, I remember tweeting, man, I really wish Virginia – I said, I think I said good half, but I really wish they, they could have uh, not been so sloppy to end the half because they could be up by double figures. Hope that doesn't cost them. And it well, did. guess what? It cost them. Really so quick, can we talk about how many – college athletes can't make point-blank layups. They miss them all the time. It's and been it, an it's issue every with team. this team sometimes. Some, yeah, yeah. I, I see it with Virginia Tech all the time, but I see it in, in games in with every team. Miami missed one. I don't uh, understand how so many athletes can miss point. I mean, well, I, I remember Duke had three shots. I can shots understand at the how I could do it. Jaquan Newton, but missed one. Yeah. An easy one against Tech. That yeah. guy just made a half court shot to beat UNC. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I've always I've always found that really weird. But Will, what were 
kind of your takeaways from this game? So things that I remember, I remember uh, Ahmed Hill had seven points in a minute. Seven straight points. Yes. Wow. He, he yeah. had two three-pointers and, and, and a free throw. Did he only score seven for the game? Yeah. I think that was it, <laughs> yeah. Um, Justin Robinson had a good game as usual. Uh, Chris six, was 18 six points. Eight. But, he, but he had six turnovers. And, and J-Rob had six? Yeah, he okay. did. And then what, what really did the Hokies in was Chris talked about that sequence before halftime that made it 39-32. And then Miami came out and hit their first six shots of the second half, including four three-pointers, if I remember correctly. Yeah, man. And they got up on Tech by nine points. So that was a big turnaround. Crazy. But then Virginia Tech came back and took the lead. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Virginia Tech just outplayed Miami, like I said, for 75% of that game. But the last two minutes of the first half and probably the first eight minutes of the second half was really big in Miami's favor. Um, and that, that turned out to be the difference. It's frustrating because I think Virginia Tech is better than Miami. I think they're a better team. And they've lost to them twice and they've lost year. to them twice. But it all comes full circle because, you know, clearly Duke and Virginia are better than than Virginia Tech. Yeah. And the Hokies beat them. So it all comes comes full circle. In the end, you are who your record says. Virginia Tech's been very good at, at punching against their uh, above their weight and then kind of falling. And, well, and they've been very good in close games. Yeah, and so would Miami. Until then, yeah. So, well, Miami had only lost one close game. All yeah, year, I think so Miami was seven and one, and Tech was, was something five, like five, five and zero. Oh. Oh. Yeah, right. so something had to give. Something had to give there, absolutely. Virginia Tech finishes the regular season twenty-one and ten overall, ten and eight in the ACC. Um, Chris, you wrote um, that basically this is kind of where everybody expected Tech to be at this point I, with yeah. well, with the ten wins in the ACC. But I can't help but feel like, given the fact that Tech was able to knock off. So many talented teams, teams that are above them in the standings, teams that are clearly better than them. I can't help but feel like this was a really disappointing ending to the season. I can't say that I'm really disappointed. Um, I I think it's it's a missed opportunity. A huge missed opportunity, sure. But when you... I think it all balances out, though, because Virginia Tech had some huge opportunities for, for big wins, and they took advantage of them. So I, I th- it all depends on how you look at it. Um, I, I come from a background where I'm used to seeing failure from Virginia Tech's basketball <laughs> program almost my whole life. And, I mean, and even when You've they've been scarred by I've been Virginia scarred. Tech basketball. Uh, and even when they've made the tournament, that they've really – Got, kind of falling flat on their face. Well, it's not not necessarily that. It's just just getting poor seedings and bad draws and bad matchups. Like. I mean, yeah. You go back to 1996, and you know a team that was ranked in the top 25 all year and a top 10 team for a couple of stints during that year is a nine seed. That they put Tech in an eight nine game. Didn't even have the decency to at least give them the eight seed either. They gave Wisconsin Green Bay. The eight seed with Tony Bennett, right? Wasn't, wasn't Tony Bennett <laughs> so playing on that team? He was. So that this this was the subject of the first. Ever, ever piece on uh, Tech Sideline, which which wasn't even called Hokie Central back then. The, the very first update I ever did was March 12th, 1997, complaining about the seeding. And, and I complained on two things. Number one, Tech seeded, what would you say, ninth? Yeah, we were ninth. Wisconsin Green Bay was eighth. Yeah, figured and your first piece on TSL that, but, was you complaining. Oh yeah, I, I, <laughs> the 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 opening line ever posted, the first line ever posted on the website was okay. Let's get the whining out of the way early. <laughs> Jesus, oh and, man, right, <laughs> right, and then it's a great way to well, start. Something. And Tech wins that game. But, you know, they get matched up with number one overall seed, Kentucky, in the second round. One of the greatest college teams of all of time, Of all time, probably. with Tony Delk and, and Antoine Walker and that group. Um, you know, you can't really complain too much. 
about being a five seed in 2007, except for the fact that the four seed was Southern Illinois, who had already beaten Tech during the regular season. And was and a really bad matchup. It was a bad matchup. I mean, the way they played was just the antithesis for how Virginia Tech played. Kryptonite. Yep. For the kryptonite, per se. And actually, Tech played two teams in a row. Illinois, Illinois and Southern Illinois, who played the exact same style, and it was just a style of play that Virginia Tech was not good against. And fortunately, <laughs> they were able to come back from like 10 down in the last two minutes and beat Illinois, who was a 12 seed. Yeah. Uh, and then last year, you know, they get in the 8-9 game, and they play just about the best 8 seed that you can find in, 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 an AC, in the NCAA tournament in Wisconsin. I mean, that, that was clearly not... And they were seed. clearly uh, underseeded, absolutely. Yes. So yeah, and the Virginia Tech never catches a break when it comes to seeding in, in the NCAA well, tournament. Well, speaking of which, <laughs> ESPN's Joe Lenardi and uh-huh. CBS Sports' Jerry Palm both have Virginia Tech as an eight seed, playing St. Mary's uh, in different brackets. Uh, Lenardi has them in the Midwest, where Xavier is the number one, and Jerry Palm has them in the West, where Kansas is number one. Um, Virginia Tech's five and seven in quadrant one games, four and two in quadrant two. They're fiftieth in the RPI um, a- after the Miami game. Uh, they're uh, 29th in the BPI, thirty first in Ken Palm. Uh, as of right now, where do you think that they would be seated? I think the eight nine. Do, do you think the eight nine line is is fair? Uh, yeah, I mean when you look at the overall resume, and you consider every factor that the committee uses, I think it's fair. Now. Uh, Let's say Virginia Tech uh, loses in their first uh, tur- tournament game to Notre Dame. They'd be 21-11, and 11, which was their exact record going into the tw- uh, 2007 NCAA tournament when they were a five seed. But that year, they played a Division two, two team, non-conference. Uh, they, they had played some neutral side games. They only played like one team outside the top 300 or maybe one team outside the top 250. Just much smarter non-conference scheduling that yeah. year. And for some reason, some inexplicable reason, Seth Greenberg never scheduled like that again. And it cost him right. a bid at least uh, one year. It's not going to cost Virginia Tech a bid this year. But it will they have hurt so them in seeding. Wins, but it will hurt them in seeding. This is a team that could be a five seed. Uh, and they could be a five seed without taking an extra loss in non-conference play. There are ways you can smarten up your schedule. Without and that's something that we might hit on loss. in the off season. We'll, we'll, about we'll, how, we'll definitely hit yeah. on that in the off season, but uh, so it's kind of self inflicted this year. So, uh, but but I do think that if Virginia Tech goes in on on a run in the tournament, they could they could move up in seeding. I, would I think be, I think they're closer to a seven seed than they are like a ten seed. Would it be point. Would it be advantageous for them to just lose flat out to Notre Dame and maybe fall to the, the the ten? Personally, I don't think they're off the eight nine line even if they lose. Okay, so, so, so that's you, my opinion. So I, you think they need to beat Notre Dame and maybe even Duke to get off the the eight nine line? It, it depends. You, you know, I I think if you look at bracket matrix, which takes into account eighty different brackets, out of all those brackets, they're the top eight seed. So maybe maybe so if you beat Notre just Dame, Notre Dame, you, you move up. Well, part of it depends so much on what other teams do, also. So it's, yeah. it's really hard to say. Yeah, how, how much bid stealing goes on? Right. Like, uh, I don't know that. Well, I was about to reference the Big South tournament, but their champion goes. It does. There's no such thing as bid stealing that goes on in the Big yeah, South. Yeah, I, I don't think there. Will, I don't think bid stealing will attack will affect Tech this year. It only affects the bubble teams. What do you guys mean by bid stealing? Uh, basically, when. Let's say a team with 18 wins who would otherwise be in the NIT go, goes on a run 
and ups and wins their conference uh, tournament or okay, makes a okay, run. Okay, and, it, and, and, they, and they get in. Yeah, they get in as the, that, that, as the right. automatic. And a classic and example of that. And then you have a team that. that's ranked way higher takes mm-hmm. in that large. Right. Yeah, so a, a classic example of that was when Georgia won the SEC tournament. I don't, it was one of the Seth Greenberg years, I yeah. think. And yeah. Georgia was not good. I don't think they were even going to go they to the They didn't have a winning record. Yeah. That was the year where the tornado knocked out Phillips Arena and they had to play the ACC tournament in Georgia Tech's arena. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, weird. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Georgia makes this big miraculous run and that helped knock Virginia Tech out. Right. And uh, I think the I think the Maryland in 2004, when they won the ACC tournament, I think they went into the ACC tournament with like 17 wins or something like that. And they were not going to make the – they had to win the ACC tournament yeah. to go. And they did. Hmm. So here's the thing about Virginia Tech and the AC tournament. Uh, we are recording this on Tuesday, uh, kind of late morning. Uh, Notre Dame and Pittsburgh play at 2 p.m. today. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every, everyone in their right mind, everyone of a sane mind, is expecting Notre Dame to win this game, especially with Matt Farrell and Bonzi Colson back in the lineup. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of assume that Notre Dame is going to win this game and if we're wrong, all three of us will come on here on the podcast and have a mea culpa and maybe sing Pitt's fight song. <laughs> um, but for Notre Dame, how different is this going to be? And Buzz touched on this on Tech Talk Live on Monday night. How different is this going to be with Bonzi and, and Matt Farrell back in the lineup? I mean, it, it's almost like Tech could not have picked a worse time to lose a one-point game to Miami <laughs> because now – now your first game in the AC tournament is likely going to be against a Notre Dame team, which is criminally underrated as a ten seed because Bonzi and Coles, Bonzi Colson's back in the line. They've played in the ACC tournament finals two of the last three years and won wow. one of them. They were predicted third in the conference this year. Um, I was telling but, my friends this weekend that if Bonzi Colson and Matt Farrell had played all season long, they could have won the ACC. This I year. think they would have finished second behind Virginia. They easily could have been second. Uh, second or third would, would definitely be Top a fair Top three pick. team almost guaranteed, sure. given how volatile UNC and Duke and Clemson have been Certainly this year. the best 10 seed in ACC tournament history. <laughs> yes, There's no, no question about that. Um, and they've had a lot of tournament success under Mike Bray. Uh, over the last 10 years, they've only failed to win one conference tournament game twice. One of those was in 2014, and one of those was in 2000. They've got good talent. He's a great coach. He's one of those coaches that gets them going yeah, in a tournament. Time. Exactly. You yeah, know, that, that that's a talent that some coaches have. Right, and uh, you know, Bonzi Colson was preseason ACC Player of the Year. I mean, you saw what he did to UVA on Saturday in a in a close loss in Charlottesville. I mean, he just destroyed that pack line defense, uh, which nobody's been able to do all year. Um, so I, I think. Uh, it's 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 very 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 tough for Virginia Tech and and it's and it's unfortunate it's an unfortunate matchup because Notre Dame to make the NCAA tournament has to beat Virginia Tech and yeah. they know it and they would probably yeah. have to beat Duke uh, after that we'll you know I don't know exactly what their numbers are I think a lot of it might depend on if the committee gives them factors the, the injuries yeah, factors and, the and again injuries what in. other teams do and things like yeah, that yeah 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 as Virginia so Tech, much volatility uh, this time as, of year. as Virginia Tech fans can attest we never know exactly what is on the uh, committee's mind each and every <laughs> Fair year. enough. Yeah, uh, but but it's tough for Virginia Tech either way. Now, getting Bonzi Colson back would would be akin to, oh, I don't know. Uh, Virginia Tech getting Kerry Blackshear back? No, I would say go back in time. Xavier Daldell was an ACC Player of the Year, but he was close. Um, I remember uh, Carlton Tudor saying that he was going to vote Xavier Daldell ACC Player of the Year after Tech won at North Carolina that year, and Daldell scored 33 points. Yeah. Then, of course, he didn't. 
<laughs> but, but he wrote an article saying he was going to. Yeah. Um, Heat of the moment. And you Who did he end up voting for? I, I don't remember. Probably Hansborough. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, you, you go, go back in time to uh, – let's use Brian Ma- Bryant Matthews as an example. A guy who was a senior is an undersized power forward, 6'7", 220 pounds, averaged about 23 points and nine rebounds a, ge- a game as a senior in the Big East. Uh, if you added him to Virginia Tech's team right now, that's like – what getting Bonzi Colson yeah. back is like for Notre Dame. I mean, what a huge boost that Bonzi would be. Bonzi Colson is like a, a Zach Lede on steroids. Yes, that's, that's a good comparison. <laughs> I mean, he's, you look, he's, he's, you, 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 he gets off the bus and you're like, yeah, who not. the hell is that guy? Right, right. And then no, you see him on the break. floor and then he whips uh, around. He can just play. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, he's one of those guys, and I, and I used to, in my youth, play pickup ball with guys like this. Great hands, good body control, you know, just – he catches everything you throw at him. He's really he's hard to skilled. defend. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he, he's not going to why you with his athleticism, but you know, he's very skilled. And you get him back, you get Matt Farrell back. Matt Farrell's a guy that um, has a, a you know a storied career at Notre Dame. He's been a very good player, very consistent player. It, it, I, I don't know if Virginia Tech would be an underdog in that game, but it they would be. almost be a toss up. Uh, I think Notre Dame will be favored. I you don't think? think there's any question. Like if, if somebody put a gun to hit in my head and said bet on the game, I would bet on <laughs> Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, I, that's just uh, they're really good and they have to win. And yeah. Generally, you see these teams in a position where they have to win and they win. You've seen Virginia Tech do it this year, where it seemed like. Oh, they're two and four in the ACC. They have to go on a yeah, run. Yeah, well, they went on a game run. and they went. You know, Louisville came into Virginia Tech having, having lost five, five of their last seven games. They had to beat Virginia Tech to stay in contention. They did it. Uh, you you see that all the time when a team has to win, they win. Notre Dame has to win. So it's not only the fact that they have to win, but they it's the fact that they get their best player back at the time when they have to win. So it's just uh, I don't. I don't think it's in the cards for Tech, but at the same time, I also recognize that Virginia Tech has been at their best when their backs have been against the wall. And when nobody's year. expecting and them to the, do and anything. It, doesn't, it sounds weird saying this considering they're a seven seed playing a number 10 seed, but their backs are against the wall going into this game. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. And, and, and again, we are basically assuming that Notre Dame is going to win the game. They're playing Pittsburgh, who hasn't won a single ACC game all season. Uh, have they been close at all, Pittsburgh, this year? I'm have guessing they... a couple of games in there have been close. But but, but generally speaking, major. when they're playing middle or the top of the AC competition, they're getting oh, they're beaten getting by double digits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're not good. So it's, chances are definitely that Notre Dame is going to win that game. And, and who knows, man, if they sneak into the NCAA tournament as a as a 12 or an 11. <laughs> oh, man. How many people are going that, to pick that, them to make the Elite Eight? Well, you know, they're, they're, right, there'd be two teams to watch. That'd watch. be the hottest 12 seed in terms of, like, bracket you, predictions in You would in watch, the watch them in Missouri. Missouri right now is projected oh, as a nine seed. Michael Porter back. Michael Porter, who has played all of two minutes this year. And he's, he's and, projected top five pick in the draft. Yeah, exactly. Played, played the first two minutes of the first game, got hurt, and hasn't played since. Yeah. Apparently coming back for the SEC tournament and will Jeez. be back. And that's a, a team that, again, you want to avoid – in the 8-9 game if you're a Virginia Tech. Yeah. Because there's there's just a chance they'll because, be a 9 Because they're going to be criminally underrated. You, you get Turner back, or excuse me, uh, Porter, Porter back. Michael Porter. And they're, certain, they're way better than a 9 seed on paper with him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's certainly on paper. So a couple of uh, couple of things that have gone through my mind listening to you guys talk. Number one is uh, um, we got a glimpse of Notre Dame without Matt Farrell and Bonzi Colson when Tech played. Uh, that, that game was at Notre Dame, correct? And Tech almost lost that game. It was, yeah, it's kind of. And I was I was looking back at the box score. Tech was up by double figures for most of the game. Yeah. Notre Dame came back at the end. Tech got sloppy. Tech controlled the game. But, but I didn't see anybody 
playing for Notre Dame that that night who scared me. The um, only guy that was that was really good that night was Gibbs, I believe, who was really really hot from three. Yeah, and then the other thing was what we're talking about uh, Porter coming back from Missouri. You know, I, I had thought something that Virginia Tech fans haven't talked about all year is. I think a lot of a lot of us about a year ago or whenever Chris Clark's injury occurred, I think a lot of us didn't think he'd play at all this year. Yeah. And he and he, he played from the get go and we've kind of forgotten you watched it go from a brace to a sleeve on that knee to nothing. You know, and, and I think Tech has been uh fortunate that Clark require uh, recovered as quickly as he did and played as well as he did, you know, throughout the season. He's been a big key. Yeah. Oh well I mean they've been fortunate not just that he's been healthy, but that they've been able to Stave off, you know what? He almost did it two games and in a row. And if you guys want to knock on wood, yeah. you can. But well, I mean, l- l- let's be honest: injuries have been a big issue for this program for how long now? Well, Will and I have always said we're due <laughs> to have a year with no injuries. Yeah, and this, and this seems like it's it. been the year so thank, far. Thank goodness. And Virginia Tech encountered a lot of teams that that were missing that players. Were missing Notre player. Dame, Clemson was missing, missing uh, um, their point Grantham guard. and their point guard. Right, right. And there's another one I'm forgetting where Virginia Tech benefited from injuries uh, on the opposition. Right. So. Yeah. Right. Um, the Crimea River, right? Right. The Crimea River. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you look out throughout Virginia Tech. History. Plus, if you think about it, I mean, almost every other ACC team played Notre Dame without Bonzi, and, yes. and a couple of other te- ACC teams played them without Matt Farrell too. Uh, half the ACC played them without Grantham. Three teams right. played them without their point guard. So it's not like Virginia Tech was the only beneficiary here. Uh, I want to talk about Chris Clark for a second. You know, he almost did it two games in a row as far as taking over down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, he basically scored Virginia Tech's last six or eight points against Miami, didn't he? I mean, he hit most of their key shots down the stretch, including a couple of free throws. I think he, I think, I think he had one couple, in the lane. Couple, couple shots around the basket. I yeah. wonder if, I wonder if Buzz Williams will be able to get Chris to become a bit more assertive on the offensive end next season yeah. throughout the game. Throughout the game. Throughout the game. Well, he's got to play more. You know, he, he Chris yeah, is, I don't know how many minutes a game he's look, averaging. I don't, sixteen against. Duke. I don't understand why Chris Clark comes off the bench on this team. I know that like you want to have a good mesh of guys when your bench comes in. That's a buzz question. But he's, I mean, well, you know, he, be, didn't, he didn't start Seth Allen or Zach Lene last year. I know, and yeah. I, I've never understood that. I don't understand why he feels like he's got to bring off or bring his most talented guys off the bench. I've never, I've never really figured that out. Who would you, uh, who would you replace? I, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is Virginia Tech is deep. Is, Here's the thing. Is Nikhil Alexander-Walker a guy that needs to be in the starting lineup? Sometimes. That's the thing. You never know who it's going to be. There's not one standout player on this team, but there's five or six guys that can go for double figures yeah. on any given night. Yeah, it's true. So, I mean, even P.J. Horn has gone for double figures at times yeah. this year. So you, you <laughs> never know where it's coming from. This definitely feels like this is the deepest team that Tech has had for the last how many, however many yeah, years. Yeah, you know, they, they don't have a full complement of scholarship players, but everybody they put in the game is an ACC caliber Well, first player. of all, everybody's healthy. Right. Second of all, and like you said, everybody is an ACC caliber player. They're, they're basically 9-10 deep on the bench of guys that can give you valuable minutes, whether it be five minutes yeah. or 30 minutes in the ACC. I think Tyree Jackson's a pretty decent player. And Buzz, Buzz felt th- like several, Tyree several, had a really good game Several Miami. years ago, Tyree would have been playing 25 minutes a game for Virginia Tech, probably. Yeah. Probably starting. <laughs> and one of the things I like about the young guys on Virginia Tech's team, and I wanted to fit this in the last podcast and didn't get a chance, was um, you know their skill and all that. And Buzz does a great job of building culture, but – there are some attitudes amongst the younger guys that I like. Now, Chris Clark's not young, but he's very scrappy, and I think Wabisa Beatty is very scrappy, P.J. Horn. These are guys that 
I, I see the younger guys and they're not soft. Um, yeah, and I, and I think I think that's a really good thing, and I think it's a good good sign moving forward. I think PJ Horn's a pretty darn good player, actually. You know, he's made some uh, post moves. He's got that little jump hook in the lane that's very effective. He, I mean, he made it against one of those Duke, big Duke guys right over him. And, and to think about it, Virginia Tech was this close to not even offering him a scholarship. This is why I like Buzz Williams. <laughs> um, you know, the, and this was kind and, of. A, and he said that the only reason he offered him a scholarship was because PJ Horn wrote him a letter. Several months after he went and scouted PJ, mm-hmm. and PJ requested that he, you know, give him a second chance, basically. Right. Um. And you know, Steve Rockefort was uh the recruiting coach who yeah. always wanted Tech to offer PJ Horn. And uh, the, here's the thing I, I I like about Buzz is remember he trusts his assistants. You, right. You know, he, he really he, does. He he, he he didn't like PJ Horn the first time he looked no, at he him. No, he didn't. D- didn't want. Didn't. Well, it's not that he disliked him. He just didn't think he was worth offering yeah, at that yeah. point. Yeah. He he liked but him as a person. Just, yeah. Eventually, Rockefort talked him into it, and 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 Buzz trusted him. Um, you go back to the end of the Greenberg era. Yes. When they were taking Marquise Rankin over Shane Larkin, despite the recommendation of James Johnson. Seth Greenberg was not listening to his assistant coaches. Uh, w- now, with did, they, did they miss on Pierre Henry, or did they just not offer him? Because uh, that was another guy yeah, that, that could That was another used. one. Uh, I forget. Uh, oh, my goodness. There was a guy who went to Purdue who's in the NBA now. Uh, I think it was Purdue. Uh, maybe not. I know Malcolm Brogdon came to Virginia Tech's elite camp, and Tech, Tech chose – Greenberg chose not to pursue him, as did a bunch of other programs, to be fair. (laughs) But there's a lot of players out there that I've heard through the years that Greenberg chose not to offer. Even Malcolm Delaney, I've heard at one point Greenberg did not not want Delaney, but but one of his assistants kept recruiting him. Kind of behind Greenberg's yeah, back. <laughs> was, was that, was that what, Stacey Palmore? Probably Stacey Palmore. Uh, kind of kept recruiting Delaney behind Greenberg's back, and by the end of the process, Greenberg had come back around and said, "I want to get back in on that well, guy." Good well, thing I've been well, recruiting. Good thing I've been behind your back the whole time, coach. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I mean, goodness, right? Exactly. So, to me, it, the big I can all I can see the difference between Seth and Buzz. I think Seth was a good coach. I think they're both good exes. And Buzz has hair. Uh, yeah, believe it or not, I don't think a lot of people <laughs> thought he thought he did. But uh, I think the main thing is Buzz trusts his assistants a lot yeah. more than Greenberg did towards the end of his tenure. And also, Buzz does a better job building culture. I've, yeah, al- I've always heard fair. that by the end of their careers, Delaney and Allen were like oil and water. They came in as like best friends, and by the end of their careers, that they, they were not getting along. And and Buzz is so particular about culture. He's turned away guys that that people thought were going to end up at Tech because they came on their visits and they and they just didn't fit the culture. And the players would come back to him and said, "Nah, if he's not a good fit, don't take it." Yeah. And but and Buzz is, is he's so enamored with his team getting along, and that shows up on the court. I mean, I, it does. And I'm around those guys after every game, and everybody gets along. It, it's a very it's a tight knit group. When when you're an underdog type program, you, you have, you have to, to, to have that. You can culture. see that too at like media day, uh, right? Which is because I'm not around the team as much as you are, but at media day, I specifically remember watching every single one of those guys, including uh, Nick Fillard and Justin Ammerman. All of them were you know were hanging out, BSing, just shooting and whatever, and joking with each other and. You know, you just don't always see that. When you see them out in Blacksburg, they are always together. I tell you, Fillard is tight with Hadim C. Those guys are like they, they're they're thick as thieves, man. They're yeah. always talking to each other and hanging out on the bench together, and probably comes from banging on each other a lot in practice. And yeah. I, I don't think if 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 your culture wasn't as good as it is, 
I don't think you can take Hadim C back. Yeah. A guy who's left your program. Um, but if, if there was a good fit, you know, if everybody's on board with it, you know, I think you, I think you can, and I don't think you can bench Ahmed Hill in the middle of the season. And I don't think you can have Chris Clark come off, the, come bench. off the bench. And I, you know, Buzz said last night on tech talk live, there have been, there's been times this year where Justin Robinson has said, you know, yeah, I'm, let, good. Let, I'm, let, I'm not let, going let, back let, in. I'm not going back <laughs> in right now. Let Beatty play a little more. He's doing great. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you don't, you don't get that with most teams. And there's a fine line between, Obviously, we know there's a fine line between finishing third and finishing seventh. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's one point. Right, uh, clearly. And so there's a fine line between success and failure in this league. And, and there's and everybody's a good coach. Good coaches get fired from the ACC all the time. Yep. But, you know, Brad Brownell, he went from hot seat to NCAA tournament. Yeah. Well, guess what? If he doesn't make the tournament next year, if he goes back to the he's NIT, gonna or worse, he's going to get fired. And this, <laughs> you know, this will be just... You know the, the one. Even though this year really has been an absolutely outstanding coaching yeah, job by sure, Brown. Sure, and he's a good coach. But uh, I, I think it's one of those things where it's just a brutal league, and you know you're going up against good coaching. You have to find things to 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 make yourself stand out. Uh, you know, you have to find your you have to create your own strengths. And yeah, I, I think Buzz has done a great job of doing that. I I think he's a good X's and O's coach, but I, you know, I I wouldn't put him above Tony Bennett or Coach. He's a Chay better or, he's a better motivator. I think he understands he's a better manager I, of the team. Yeah, I think he understands people really well. Yeah, and, and how many points a game is that culture worth? If it's worth just two points a game, then you've won a couple of games this year That's because right. of the culture. Right. Definitely. So in the AC tournament, if Virginia Tech is able to beat the winner of Pittsburgh Notre Dame, which we're again assuming is going to be Notre Dame, they're playing this afternoon. Um, they on Wednesday, um, if they're able to win that game, they'll play Duke at 7 p.m. on Thursday night. Um, considering the top seeds in the ACC tournament, I think that that's probably a. I'd rather be on the other side. You'd rather be Clemson. Uh, I'd I'd rather have to play UVA. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, just because of Duke's, yeah. I would have rather been like a four and had to play. Uh, well, I, I think UVA. Yeah, but there, there was no chance of Tech being the sixth seed going into this. They were either going to be third, fourth, fifth, or seventh. So they really had no chance to to face Clemson as the three seed. Okay. Um. So I, I would have rather been. Uh, I, I would have if if my choice was between UVA and Duke, I would rather play UVA. And I don't that I don't mean that in in any way disrespectful to UVA because I think they're the best team in the they're ACC. They're just a better matchup. I think Virginia Tech has a better chance. Or you got to consider the fact that whoever Tech, if Tech does get past Notre Dame slash Pitt, whoever they Notre play, <laughs> right, whoever they play is going to have an extra day's rest over Virginia Tech. Yes. And I don't think Virginia Tech can beat a really ultra-talented Duke team in what will probably be an up-tempo back game, to back game on back-to-back back, back days. Yeah. UVA will slow the pace down. Virginia Tech would have a better chance in a slow-paced game Fair against enough. UVA. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. All right, so we'll, we'll have to see how that works out again. Virginia Tech plays Wednesday at 7 p.m. And it will be at 7 p.m. because there is no game before. Yes, exactly. Right. And it's going to be on ESPN2, correct? I believe so, yes. And they will be playing the winner of Notre Dame and Pittsburgh, who, again, are playing this afternoon. So we'll see how that works out, and Chris will have his ACC tournament preview coming up here shortly. Um, before we wrap up the podcast, I do want to talk about the NFL Combine, which was this weekend. There were seven guys at the Combine from Virginia Tech. There's only seven schools that had more participants at the Combine, so that, that was an interesting stat. Um, there's kind of a mixed bag of results, depending on where you look in the Combine for Virginia Tech players. So we'll start with Tremaine Edmonds, who is – a basically a consensus top 10 pick at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 19 years old. He's going to be 20 in May. 
Um, he's got tremendous upside. Mike Mayock loves him. Mel Kuyper loves him. Todd McShay loves him. Everybody loves Tremaine Edmonds. Um, 4-5-4 in the 40-yard dash. That's fifth amongst linebackers. Um, think about it. Isaiah Ford ran like a 4-6 last year at the Combine. Mm. Or, or, excuse me, at the Pro Day. And Tremaine Edmonds just ran a 4-5. Yeah, how many top 10 picks has, had, has Virginia Tech had throughout their history? All right. They had Vic, is Vic one. Bruce Smith were both number one overalls. Okay. And well, was D'Angelo Hall. top 10? He was yeah. eighth. Seventh yeah. or eighth. He went and to I Atlanta? Think that's it, right? Yeah. KJ was uh, late first. Uh, actually, I think he was the last pick of the first round. So was David Wilson. Right. And I late. feel like I'm in uh see. Where was Dr- uh, Kyle Fuller was, was mid first. He was and 17th, I believe. Right. And Drucken Miller was late first. Chung may have been a first-round pick, but I it was late. I think he was, right. So you're talking about Edmonds has a legit chance to be the third or fourth highest pick in Virginia Tech history. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and he, he he's checked off all the boxes. You know, I think everyone knows who he is at this point. He's not the, the, the best athlete at linebacker position, but when you combine his height mm-hmm. and size and athleticism, it's really a unique blend that you're not going to find anywhere else. Now, in the NFL, they'll play him more at an outside linebacker position, well, correct? Well, the, the, there's been some a bit of a debate. So Mayock believes that he um, is a guy who can do play as a kind of an edge rusher or he can play off ball, whether it be outside or in the middle. Um, I believe that Mel Kuyper believes that he's best suited as a linebacker in a 4-3 system, so not as an edge rusher. So there's a bit of a debate about what he could do, but personally, just for, from what I've seen in his career, and again, I'm not a talent evaluator, I think he can really do kind of anything at, at the linebacker position. He's he's skilled enough to, and fast enough to come off the edge. He's fast enough and, and smart enough in coverage, where you know that's not an issue. And he's strong enough to get off blocks in the middle to to make plays in the run game. I don't know how natural he is. About the only natural criticism, in terms of he's not Vince Hall natural. Yeah, you mean, about you the mean, only criticism I read about him was just one line that said instincts. something like he doesn't diagnose plays quickly. That's what I mean. Otherwise, he would have dominated at the college yeah. level. Yeah, that, you you're know. talking about he would have had 175 tackles every year if he could have. Like if you could combine him and Vince Hall together, or or, or him <laughs> and Jack Tyler together. Yeah, uh, I mean those guys would. I I, I never. Saw Saw, and you, and you get this a lot. There, there are very few guys that are both that are freak athletes. Yeah, you, yeah. You know, like very go back to some. I mean, uh, you, growing up and watching some linebackers play in the NFL. I mean, remember Zach Thomas? Zach Thomas for, yeah. for the Miami Dolphins the, out of Texas Tech back when they used to play defense. The guy was <laughs> the guy was five eleven. The guy was five eleven and was starting middle linebacker in the NFL and one of the best players. In one the of NFL. my favorite players in NFL history is London Fletcher. Sure, a guy who was a 12, 13-year yeah. veteran, right. uh, led the league in tackles a couple years, didn't make the Pro Bowl until he was with the Redskins late in his career. But yeah. he, another guy, 5'11", 230, That's 240, right. That's right. you know, really short. But, right. man, he was he good. Could, he knew how to play football. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I think with a guy like Edmonds, and I'm not saying he doesn't know how to play football. No, of course not. But I don't think he has that extra it factor when it comes to instincts like a Jack Tyler or a Vince Hall. Now, is that something that he can develop through the NFL or maybe uh, improve on a little bit? I, I, I guess he can improve on it, but Vince Hall was that way as soon as he got on the field. Jack Tyler was that way as soon as he got on the field when those guys were redshirt freshmen. Uh, now, the good, the good thing about Edmonds, he's, he's, he's 19 years old. I mean, he, he would have been a, a redshirt sophomore this year had he redshirted. Yeah. Um, so he's still a very, very young player. But uh, – 
it's just rare that you see a guy who's as athletic as Edmonds who does have those instincts. Yeah. And, and, so, and, and, and I, I don't think it's going to hold him back any. I'll put it that That's something way. that he's, that he, you know, in, in his career, he's never had to rely on right. instincts because and, well, he's just been a, he's been right. way, way more athletic than everyone and, has ever played. And to me, I would play him on the outside. As a, as I think, I think your most instinctive guys, you want to play inside the tackle box because they just have a natural ability to read plays, navigate blockers, things like that. I want to put. I would put him on the edge in some kind of outside linebacker role where he can play in space, ideally on the wide side of the field. The, yeah. The, 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 that's that's how I would. And, and I think if he finds a team that does that for him, that he will be a better NFL player than he was in college, right. and he was pretty darn good in college. Right. Yeah, he was. Uh, Terrell Edmonds, uh, Wyatt Teller both had pretty good days as far as I'm concerned. Terrell Edmonds ran a four four eight. Wow. Uh, in yeah. his 40-yard yeah. dash, and at 217 pounds, that's very good. That's pretty pretty impressive. And I I I just remember going back to the West Virginia game, watching him play. He looked slow. He did not look athletic. He looked lumber. You know, he, you he just kind of lumbered around. Yeah, he was hurt. And, but I, but I tell you what, you know, he he looks like he's kind of trimmed down a bit. I know he was still 217 pounds at the combine. But he doesn't look as bulky as he did at that West Virginia game. Yeah, you know he looked like a linebacker playing safety. He really almost. did. Uh, and at one point of that game, he went out with 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 cramps and couldn't come back in. And if you saw him on the sideline, he was laying there, and he couldn't even. It was he was cramping in both legs. He couldn't even hold the water bottle in his hand. Jeez. He was so. I mean, I think his hands and arms. I think his whole body. <laughs> it was a full body cramp. <laughs> and uh, so I and and then you come out and play the next week on a short week. I don't think he was ever physically fit for this, this season yeah. because of that West Virginia game. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like it kind of, you know, trickled down throughout I, I the rest wish, of the season. I wish football coaches would, would would treat, like, FBS opponents like like the way, like, a soccer coach would treat a would, – uh, would go to a cup match, like, like a – like the FA Cup or something, where you're playing a lower level team. Oh, you mean FCS? Yeah, you mean FCS. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you said FBS. Okay, yes. Okay. Okay. If you're playing an FCS, you're playing Delaware. Second, yeah. On a short week, after you played West Virginia, and Terrell Edmonds couldn't finish the West Virginia game. You don't need Terrell Edmonds <laughs> to beat Delaware. <laughs> don't play him. Don't play him. Let let him get healthy for the and, and back into shape for the rest of the year. Just like football, uh, soccer teams approach cup matches. They they start a lot of their backups. Yeah. Because you guess what? The week later important. you've got another you've got you've got a major major game that really really counts. But you don't see football coaches doing that. I mean, I go back to the 2013 season when J C Coleman had two sprained ankles. He missed the Alabama game, which as he should. Then they play Western Carolina the next week. You don't need J.C. Coleman to beat Western Carolina, especially when you got Trey Edmonds, who would just rush for 130 or whatever against Alabama. Well, they trot J.C. out there against Western Carolina on two sprained ankles, and guess what? He sprains them again and misses, like, the next three weeks. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just, just – I, I, I wish they – I wish coaches would be a little bit smarter with, with how they choose to play their – They're, afraid, Coleman, they're afraid of losing. They, they are afraid they're of losing. definitely – and, 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 there, and there's a culture in America, I think, where you can't tell a star player, you're not playing today because I'm resting you for more important games. And I don't think that's acceptable to players in this day and age. Chris Coleman undefeated in soccer comparisons here on the podcast. Uh, Wyatt Teller also had a pretty good day. Um, he was fifth in uh, among offensive linemen in the bench, uh, second among offensive linemen in broad jump, and fifth among offensive linemen in the three-cone drill. And, and, and I know that just from reading and – 
and kind of listening to, to, to things, Wyatt's the, the big concern with Wyatt is his athleticism in space, his ability to block in space. And I feel like he was able to show that he's a pretty pretty darn good athlete, even if he's not as, as fast as maybe some other um, tackles or guards. So I really do feel like that Wyatt's got a chance to be a mid-round pick, whether it be round three, round four. See, I never thought blocking out in space was an issue for him in college. I mean, I remember him crushing plenty of guys when he was pulling around the edge and blocking safeties and DBs and linebackers in the open field. Uh, I guess there's a certain fluidity maybe in pass protection you you, you would wonder about against NFL-level players. But, you know, honestly, I think Virginia Tech – I think they might have beaten Georgia Tech if they had played Wyatt Teller at left tackle and Parker Osterloh at left tackle. <laughs> I mean, Fair enough. I, I would have trusted him protecting Josh Jackson's backside before I would Parker Osterloh, who obviously really probably shouldn't have been playing tackle at this level. He yeah. should have been playing guard. His athleticism was more suited to, to offensive Even guard. Even though he's a big guard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, exactly. 6'7", well, 330. He's a big anything. Yeah. Yeah, the, <laughs> the bottom line with Wyatt Teller is that the physical ability has never been the question. You yeah. Know, it's, it's it's whatever else Wyatt has been going on. kind yeah. of establishing that consistency that's always kind of plagued him throughout his career. The last thing I want to hit on in the combine was that Tim Settle, who – is a guy that I think we all agree is one of the, the better athletes at 329 pounds or what what I think it was 329 at the combine. Um, he did not do well at the combine. 40-yard uh, dash was fourth worst among defensive tackles, but the important number with the 40 is the 10-yard split, and he ran a 1.9, and I know for a fact that that was about uh, three-tenths of a second um, slower than what he had been running in preparation for the combine. Yeah. Um, he had his vertical was the worst among defensive linemen. Uh, his broad jump was the fourth worst among defensive linemen. His three cone was third worst, and his twenty yard shuttle was third worst. And I think that with Tim, he's not going to be at the top of any of those categories. I don't think anybody expected him to. But I think that maybe we expected him to maybe be in the mid of, thought, of all I those categories. Him to do better. Um, I think when you're a big guy like Tim. You know, and you're a really big guy and you're a football player, your weight can fluctuate a lot, especially like during August when you're working out a lot. But I think your performance can fluctuate too um, uh, as a big guy. I, I think it's more likely to fluctuate the, the, than a smaller guy, so to speak. Uh, I don't think he had his best combine, obviously, but I, I think he's shown enough on film. He looked more athletic on film. Than his combine. Than he did in the combine. Display. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah. And yeah, and there's I, no question about yeah. it. He, he looked very top heavy in the videos I saw of him. And, yeah. And yeah. yes, Tim's uh, still big around the middle because he, like like we've discussed, he needed another year or two to continue to work on that. Need is, is maybe too strong a term, whatever. But uh, he doesn't look top heavy in his uniform like he did in, in the shorts and t shirts. Yeah. And I, I he just didn't look fluid in, in the workout videos you saw. And I. I never saw a lack of fluidity from him at Virginia Tech. On the yeah, con- he, yeah, was he, on the contract. he never looked. I mean, he was playing special right, teams. Right, exactly. He was he on was, the kick return pers- team. He was a personal protector on the punt team. You don't <laughs> let somebody with no athletic ability do yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think uh, I think he had a bad day. And, 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 you know, these guys are humans, man. They're not robots. Yeah. Not, I mean, Greg Stroman nobody, also had a bad day. He didn't perform cr- as well right. as people would have thought. You know, he, he ran a slower 40 time than Terrell Edmonds. Yeah. And, and Greg Stroman, despite been, being thirty pounds smaller, and he's right, been right. considered one of the fastest players in in at least the last you know six seven years yeah. in Virginia Tech history. I, I think, and anybody listening to this podcast will attest, nobody feels the exact same day, same way every day when yeah. you wake up, wake up out of bed. I think Settle just had a bad day. 
I don't know, but was he sick? I I, I don't know. Yeah. It wouldn't shock me if he was, but he'll have a chance in pro day yeah. to uh to show he's more athletic than he just than he showed in the combine. Virginia Tech's pro day is March fourteenth. Uh, that'll start around ten AM. They'll probably start actually a little bit earlier doing kind of the bench press and stuff like that, but the media will be allowed to, to enter the indoor practice facility here on Virginia Tech's campus at ten AM. Um, so we'll see if some guys can maybe improve their draft stock. I'm not sure if I'm Tremaine Edmonds I'm gonna do much. At the Virginia Tech Pro Day, I might just show my face and kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, wave my hand, yeah. hello, and I'm then here. leave yeah. because he doesn't really he doesn't have to, to do anything. He doesn't really need to do anything else there. I think he's kind of checked off all the boxes. But until then, folks, it's all the time we have for this one. Remember, Virginia Tech basketball plays Wednesday at 7 p.m. They'll be playing the winner of Notre Dame Pittsburgh. We're assuming that's going to be Notre Dame, and then after that, if they're able to win, they'll be playing Duke on Thursday night at 7. We'll have a full ACC tournament preview on TechSideline.com. We'll have a full recap of the NFL Combine on TechSideline.com this week as well. So make sure to read all those. But until next time, for Will Stewart, for Chris Coleman, and for myself, Ricky Blue, thanks for listening.